You may be seated. Now, uh, I always uh, suggest you, you have version the, the app there on your device, and all the sermon notes are loaded up every Sunday. You can follow along. Uh, and some Sundays we put material in there that will not get covered in our time together because it's too short. And uh, this Sunday is one of those Sundays. So I would definitely recommend you have version this morning, and you can find our service live there, and you'll see all the notes. In particular, I put a link there to a biography, a little story, of a man named Sadhu Sundar Singh. Uh, he is a Sikh, a high caste Sikh from India uh, of generations past who received Christ as his Savior. His uh, story is fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And if I have time, I would tell you about it. I'm not sure I'll have that time this morning. I just want you to know, I linked a little story of his biography in, in your version. My goal this morning, really I have two goals this morning to get accomplished in our time together. The first is just to encourage you about your standing in the kingdom of God. For those of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, who are now called the children of God, I want to talk to you about who you are and, and, and what is your standing in the kingdom of God. And that's one thing I need to get done this morning. And the second thing I need to get done is I need to give you a brief uh, understanding, biblical understanding. It's, it's, again, much too much to cover for one service. So a very uh, Cliff Notes version uh, of, of what angelic ministry toward you. And again, I want you to think individually now, but you're part of the church. But right now, focus. I'm talking about you as a child of God have angelic ministry directed towards you. And I want you to comprehend just a little bit about what's happening in the supernatural around you and know that some of this activity is affecting your life and it's uh, not going to be a scary thing to you. It's going to be a very encouraging thing to you. So let's pick up where we ended last week. Last week we ended uh, with an org chart. So let's bring the org chart back up. Okay, and if you were here last Sunday, this is very familiar to you. Uh, we, We talked about you know, a little bit about what the org chart of the universe might look like if we had to chart it out or graph it out in a visual aid. The one thing we know absolutely for sure is that God's the supreme power of the universe. And however we would draw our org chart, God would absolutely be at the top of that org chart. And matter of fact, anything else would be a big gap. It's not just like a little gradual, it'd be like a, if we could illustrate it properly, it's like, a, you know, this big, big leap from first to uh, the, the other places on the, on the org chart. So God's the supreme power. But then we talked about last week how God made himself like his creation. I mean, this is absolutely unheard of. It's absolutely mind-blowing to understand that the God who created everything else in the org chart, that, that God would transform himself to be like some part of this org chart. And as a matter of fact... We know from the biblical narrative, way down here at mankind, is what he made himself. This is what we call the incarnation. Jesus coming into the world, born as a man, as a human being. The holy God, who is the creator, transformed himself into mankind, into a human, and came into this earth as Jesus Christ. And Jesus was born into this world, the Bible says, in obedience to God the Father. And if you wonder what God's doing, basically God intends to redeem his creation. His creation has fallen. It has rebelled against him. And God intends not to let it go at that. Don't you like that God fights for his relationships? He fights for his creation. He's not content to say, well, that didn't work out. Let's just walk away from it and do something else. And I just want to put a little emphasis here and say there should be some of that in every child of God that fights for your marriage, that fights for your children. You say, yeah, but they rebelled and, a, 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 against me and, and they've disrespected me. Fight for them. Fight for them. Don't let them go. You say, but my grandchildren have disgraced their family. Fight for them. Fight for them. Don't let them go easily. It's in the very nature of what God is showing us. Yeah, my whole creation rebelled against me. Get over it. I'm going to fight for it. And not only is he going to fight for it like you would think, you know, uh, uh, he, I'm going to 
humble myself and become like my creation because I intend to redeem my creation and I intend to reestablish God's kingdom here on earth. And when Jesus was born as a man into that stable in Bethlehem with Joseph and Mary and the shepherds, when all of that happened that we just talked about, Jesus was coming into this world and as Really, from a boy, he said, I must be about my father's business, but certainly at his baptism and forward, he gave himself completely to his mission of doing whatever God sent him down here to do. And I don't want to summarize the whole life of Christ here on earth. That's the New Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's gospel. But we do know this, the last night, the night he would be arrested and tomorrow morning crucified. I mean, the last night, we do know that he prayed And he began to pray in John 17 for his disciples. In my mind, I picture him there with them. We're not sure if it's totally the upper room or if he's out in the garden by now, but he begins to pray. And his prayer goes like this. Father, I have glorified you on the earth. I have accomplished the work you gave me to do. New King James, King James, I have finished the work you sent me to do. Now, he hadn't died on the cross, he hasn't been buried, he hasn't risen from the dead. So my question to you is always, what work did Jesus finish by John 17, verse 4? He made disciples. And we know that because he came down to make disciples. He showed us how to make disciples. And unless he had made disciples, Christianity had died at the crucifixion. There would be nobody, nobody to carry it forward. Now, these guys are not perfect. These ladies are not perfect. We're going to see Peter's very flawed even the night of the arrest and the trial and denies it. But they're mature enough to be able to stand and be able to reproduce and be able to repeat the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to reconcile us to God and to commit to us, Paul said, the ministry of reconciling others to God. The ministry of reconciliation. He said, I came to bring you to God and I want to give you the ministry of pulling other people to a relationship with God. Now, we don't always think of Jesus as king, but as king, think about this. He came to reestablish his kingdom. You remember Pilate questioning him, are you then a king? Jesus said, wow, you know a lot about me. Do you say this for yourself or are you repeating what other people said? Yeah, for this cause I came into the world. And he begins to talk a little bit about his kingdom Now I want you to think of Jesus as a king. As a king, he came to reestablish, came as a man to reestablish, redeem the creation and reestablish God's kingdom and to bring us as citizens into a kingdom, a kingdom of God. We are disciples of Christ and we are advancing the kingdom. And as disciples, we're to make more disciples of Christ and that's really why we remain on earth after our salvation. Uh, You weren't just saved to go to heaven. We'll talk more about that in a coming series. You were saved for a mission you have here on planet earth. You're not just saved to go sit on a cloud and strum a harp. How boring is that? Listen to what I'm saying to you. No, thank you. Not interested. I don't know how you're wired. That doesn't appeal to me. I need something to do. I need a challenging mission. Now, if you think sitting in a rocking chair is going to be a sweet eternity for you, boring is all I got to say. Wait till the series that's coming when we talk about what God has saved you to do. But God has saved you for a mission. He didn't take you out of this earth. Can you imagine that? You know, Peter's, have you received Christ? Yes, buried in baptism, likeness of Christ, ways to walk, rapture, there you go. See you later. Just your clothes fall down to the ground. You know what I'm saying? Uh, If God had wanted to take you out after your salvation and that was the pinnacle of everything, you'd all be gone. But he's got something for you to do and that's why you're here. And Jesus gave us a good role model of that. He's all about the mission. He's focused on the mission. And the very purpose of your life is to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge you, if you have any other mission to your life this morning, please make some adjustments to your life mission this morning. If there's anything else that's driving your life other than pursuing the mission of God, you say, but I've got a career. No, listen, your career can come in line with this mission. 
You say, but I'm a father. I'm a mother. Well, parenting can come in line with the mission of Christ. What I'm saying is you can be on Christ's mission. It encompasses all of those things. But if your mission is not making disciples for the kingdom of God, you have to realize these few years you have right now, that's not everything. This is just kindergarten. This is just getting ready. After Jesus made disciples who could make disciples and knew they could stand on their own, even though they weren't totally, totally, you know, they're a little shaky at times still. We got that. But he said, Father, I finished. I'm ready to go now. You, you can glorify me and get back to the throne now. I can leave this humanity. I can get back to that other thing, John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had before the world existed. Now, this is a mind bender for sure. The eternal God becomes a man, and before he dies the next day, he's praying, Father, I'm getting ready to be glorified. I'll see you shortly. I'm ready to sit back on the throne and take the scepter and command the universe. Now that's wild. That's all I'm saying. That's wild. So Jesus laid down his life on the cross. There's the Easter message that's coming. He was raised by the power of God. He ascended into heaven some 40 days later. I don't know if you, I'm sure you have witnessed the pomp and circumstance that accompanies a ruler ascending to power. The pomp and circumstance that happens when a king or queen or uh, coronated or a president is inaugurated and the parades and the balls and the bands and the crowds and the cheers and the banners and the flags and all that goes with that. Now I want you to imagine God makes himself a man, comes to earth and, and a, a, as a conquering victor fights the battle, lays down his life And says, I'm coming back now to sit on the throne. What type of welcome do you think he got? A hero's parade. A a, a victor's welcome into heaven. Uh, In my opinion, Psalm 24 paints a picture of this. I don't know who the speakers are. I don't know if these are angels standing on the wall, tending the gates. I don't know if the worship choir, but let me read Psalm 24. If you want this morning, I'll give you some places where you can read out loud with me. Lift up your heads, O gates. Let's get those gates open. Somebody's coming. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? Here's your speaking part. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in in battle. Lord of hosts, Lord of the army, heavenly host, heavenly army. Verse 9, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, and the king of glory. What's happening is the gates are opening and they're welcoming the victor in now to sit on the throne. And the king of glory will come in. Verse 10, you ready? Who is the king of glory? Here's your part. The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Listen, they welcomed him back, opened the gates and welcomed the victor back. Why? Our conquering king has returned to us. Jesus, God, the Bible says was made a little lower than the angels, a human. He went from the top of the org chart down to the bottom of the org chart as a human and is now resurrected and sitting on the throne of the universe as supreme commander In the revelation John wrote down for us, he has written on his thigh and on his garments, King of Kings. Not King, King of Kings. Not Lord, Lord of Lords. He is high and lifted up and on the throne. Now, here's my question for you. What does Jesus' victory mean for us? What does... Going from human to exalted ruler of the universe, what are the implications for you and I this morning? See, we hear a story like that and we say, well, that's really cool for Jesus. But my question to you is, have you considered that such a transformation could also be part of your story? Stay with me for a moment. Was Jesus showing us That such a marvelous transformation is also about to be a part of your own story. 
bottom of the org chart to top of the org chart. Could such a promotion be in your near future? Let me read for you and let's decide. 1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Why don't you read with me right here? That we should be called, and so we are. What manner of love is this that the Father would show us that we should be called the children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Remember Pilate asking him, who are you? Are you a king? They don't know who he is. They can't figure it out. Verse 2, beloved, we are God's children. Say that next word out loud. We are God's children. One more time. We are God's children. You're not waiting to be God's children when you get to heaven. You are, well, I hope you are. I pray you are. If not this morning, you can be. For all of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the scripture says to us emphatically, beloved, family word, by the way, beloved, family, loved ones, we are God's children right now. We have a mission right now. We've already received a promotion right now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Now, your boss may not recognize that you're God's child. Your boss looks at you and says, well, you know, you th- what, do you think you're a king's kid or something? Well, yeah, I am. But he doesn't see it or she doesn't see it. Listen, your school teacher or professor may not understand who you are. But you need to understand who you are. You are now God's child. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. Let me read to you what Paul wrote in Galatians 3. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Then you are a son, a daughter, a child of God. You say, what are the implications of what you're saying, Pastor? What I'm saying is when Jesus rose from the grave and sat on the throne, he rearranged the org chart. Do you understand what's happened? We're way down here, fallen mankind. Now Jesus is presenting the gospel to us and opening a way for us to be restored to what he always created us to be. And something has changed on the org chart. Mankind has now moved to right here. No, you're not the low on the totem pole. Now he's calling you children of God. Let let me read a little bit more just so you'll be sure and get it. Romans 8 verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery when you got saved to fall back into fear. But you've received the spirit of, say it out loud. You guys have been adopted, which means family, which means king's family, which means you're, you're, you're somebody now. You have some significant standing in this universe. You've been adopted as sons, whereby we cry, Abba, Papa, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Is the Spirit bearing witness with your spirit this morning? And if so, then you have this peace right now settled right here. And just the Holy Spirit's confirming right now to you, we're family. You're God's child. If there's a void right here and an unrest right here and a disturbance right here in your life this morning, we'll settle that in just a moment, okay? But he says, if you've received Christ, then wow, you've got this humongous promotion from a fallen human being. Now you are the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now here's what this scripture presents. After Genesis 3, fall of man, sin enters the world. After Genesis 3, scripture presents fallen humans as living near the bottom of that universal org chart. But then Jesus comes and presents the gospel to us, the good news of how we can be redeemed, how we can be saved, and all those who put their trust in him are indeed 
redeemed human beings who have now been transformed to the children of God. You say, well, wow, what a big promotion. Well, actually, this is where you were created originally. The fall moved us down here. The redemption moves us back to where we were originally intended to be. We have now resumed our place. Let me say it this way. We've now assumed our destiny, which was to rule this earth. Uh, Miss Leah can explain this in detail on Wednesday night to you. But let me read Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. He's calling you blessed and holy. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God. That's you. Priests of God and of Christ, and they, that's you, the redeemed, the saved, and you will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, the Bible reveals that it's our destiny to go from created lower than the angels, fallen human. It's our destiny to go from that position to ruling uh, this creation with Jesus Christ as ruler serving the very Son of God. Let me say it a different way. We who have pledged our loyalty and our lives to Jesus Christ have entered into his kingdom right now. I'm in his kingdom right now. His kingdom is here, but not altogether here. It's here because we're in it, but it doesn't mean all of Fort Worth is in it. Does that make sense? There's coming a day when Jesus will come to this earth and set up his visible kingdom, and the whole world will be ruled by Jesus Christ in that way. Does that make sense? We'll talk more about that in, in some prophecy in some coming days. But even now, the kingdom of God is working in us. Let me say it a different way to you, maybe a way that will make more sense. We who pledged our loyalty and our lives to Jesus have not only entered into his kingdom, we are currently enrolled in our kingdom apprenticeship. Everybody understand what apprenticeship is? It's uh, practicing, it's learning, it's doing. It's doing right now for the bigger thing that's coming. Maybe you, maybe you had an apprenticeship while you were in the university and you apprenticed while you were studying for the big job you were trying to land and it helped prepare you and place you properly in that big job you were trying to land. I want you to think right now that your life as a mortal is, is a, you know, three score and ten. Uh, it's not very long uh, how much time we have to live as human beings in this thinking. But right now you're enrolled in a kingdom apprenticeship. We're now dedicated to Christ's mission of making disciples. And how we perform in this present internship is determinative of what we will do in the kingdom of God that's coming. I want everybody to just really wrestle with this right now. How you're performing in your internship right now. I'm not saying you have to work to be saved. Don't misunderstand. You are saved. You are a son of God. You're now enrolled in an apprenticeship. Now what you do in your apprenticeship is determinative. You remember when the, the mother of uh, two of the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, he said, what do you want? And she said, well, here's what I want. I want for my sons to sit on your right hand and your left hand in your coming kingdom. When the big kingdom comes and you set up the rule, rule of this world... I want my sons to sit on your right and left hand in the kingdom. Prime minister, secretary of state, whatever you want, however you want to think about that. And what did Jesus answer this, this sweet woman? He said, you don't understand. The positions in the kingdom of God will be given to those who earn them. Performance. A lot of Christians get saved, go to church for 70 years, and, and, and go home to heaven and, and, and say, wow, we, we really served God. We were really out on the front lines. And, and really just didn't do much to advance the kingdom of God. I just want you to think about this for a minute. I just want you to think about it. I'm not saying everybody should be a pastor or a missionary. I'm saying everybody should be a disciple maker like Jesus Christ. 
I'm saying everybody should be thinking about your kids as disciples, your family as disciples. You want to reach your family with the gospel. Your coworkers are potential disciples. The, 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 the millions that live in this metroplex, we just have people everywhere that, that need to hear about Jesus Christ. You have a field in front of you, and your internship is determinative of your role in the kingdom of God. But remember that while we're on mission making disciples right now, There is a tremendous amount of supernatural angelic activity going on around us. And much of it is directed at us. Does that make sense? Let me go to the next thought then. While you're on mission, there's stuff happening around you. You won't see it. I don't expect that you will. Few people do. Only on rare, rare recorded occurrence do people see what's around them in this supernatural dimension but i'm informing you from the scripture that it's there and it's real and it's affecting touching ministering to your life be aware of it so let's talk quickly about angelic ministry directed towards us since we are god's children by faith in jesus christ we have access to what christ has access to your life paul said Nevertheless, I I live. Nevertheless, uh, Christ lives in me. So let me just give you the New Testament understanding of this. Your life is an extension of the life of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that you, living as a child of God in this world, God looks at you as an extension of the life of Jesus Christ. You are to be, we say this, the hands and feet of Jesus you, you, you're to be Jesus to this world, to the, to the people. You know. Exactly. You're an extension of the life of Christ. Now, that may be intimidating, but let me give you the good news. Everything that Christ has access to, you have access to. That's why he said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. You abide in me. Everything you need comes through me to you. You're an extension as a branch of the vine of everything that I am and everything that I have and everything that I have access to, I can flow it right to you because you are connected in a relationship to me. So what the holy angels did for the Son of God, the holy angels are now doing for the sons of God. Now are you seeing the connection? You hold a position as a co-heir, a co-regent with Jesus Christ, what the angels do for Jesus, they'll minister to you. Now, let me just give you quickly some of the things that angels are doing for God's children. They minister to God's children. Let me get, first of all, the table, the understanding of guardian angel. Now, this is a term everybody knows about. Even the unsaved know this term, guardian angel. Where did we get the concept of guardian angel. I'm reading Hebrews 1 verse 14. He's talking about Jesus is God's son and he's at the top of the org chart. God is and everybody else is way down the line. Okay so it's talking about the great gulf that exists between those first step and second step. And then the writer of Hebrews begins to talk about the angels. Verse 14. Are they, the angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Now, I'm going to give you the Greek words because when you hear the Greek words, it's going to trigger a different understanding. The words, ministering spirits sent out to serve. Here it is in the Greek. Liturgikos, if anybody knows the word liturgy, liturgikos, pneuma, as in pneumatic drill, pneumatic hammer, it's the word for air. Air-driven tool, spirit in the Bible. It's the Greek word pneuma. Liturgikos, pneuma, apostolo, apostle, people who are sent with a message, sent out. Apostolos, eis, diakonea, deacon. Now this is really interesting. The angels are liturgikos, pneuma, Apostolos, apostles and deacons. Just think about that for a minute. The word apostle means those who are sent, sent ones, people sent with a message. Deacons, the word diakonos in the Greek, diakoneia comes from this. It means attendance as a servant to aid, 
to minister, to aid, to minister, to serve. This is what deacon means, diakonia. So the holy angels have a apostolic, but see if I say that you think of preacher. So don't think that way. The angels are liturgical. They are ministering spirits, spiritual beings who are sent down here among us. They're sent somewhere. (laughs) They're sent down here to us to minister and aid and care for and serve and attend to us. And who's the us? Those who are to inherit salvation. Now here's my interpretation. Uh, I don't think that just the saved have holy angels watching out for them. I think this also means those who are to inherit salvation. Both. Now as a child of God, I believe I have angels caring for me. Amen? What about your child that's not yet saved? You see the thing here? What about our kids who haven't received Christ? Well, the way I read this is they are sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. I'll tell you what I think is going on. I think there's a war going on for the salvation of mankind. Christ already won it on the cross and the resurrection, but there's still a battle being waged for control of the universe. And I think the holy angels stand watch over many unsaved if not all of the unsaved still trying to get the gospel to them and let them hear the message and protecting them that's what i think so you said you believe in guardian angels a hundred and ten percent i do and i'm not sure it's a one-for-one assignment as i've said before it may be but it may be that you've got many i don't know we don't we're not have clarity but we know they are liturgicos apostolos (laughs) you see what i'm saying uh sent Diaconia to serve those who shall be heirs of salvation. Now, the only reason I know I'm one of them because I've already received Christ. But listen, we in this room with a young church have a lot of families yet to be started. A lot of children left to conceive. Not personally, but I hope you do. I think I'm done. But you understand what I'm saying. We have families yet to be built up. We have people yet to be born. And I believe that the holy angels are going to watch over your kids and your grandkids until they receive, even before they receive Christ as their Savior and all the way after. They minister to God's children. Let me tell you what else the angels do. They strengthen us. In Daniel chapter number 10, the prophet Daniel is, 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 is weak. And behold, one of, in the likeness of the children of man. He looked like a man. It's an angel though touched my lips and I opened my mouth and spoke and I said to him who stood before me oh my Lord by reason of the vision pains have come upon me and I retain no strength how can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord for no strength remains in me and no breath is left I'm wrung out with this supernatural stuff and again one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me and he said oh man greatly loved wouldn't it do your heart good this morning just for the angel if you could see them just to appear right here and put their arms around you and say, you are so loved by God. This is what happens in Daniel. Just pulls the veil back and lets you know what the heart of God is for you. Oh man, greatly beloved, fear not. Listen, whatever you're facing this week, folks, God's got you. God's got you. In the same way he had J.D. facing the death of a loved one, God's got you. He's going to minister to you. His angels are going to surround you. Fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong and be of good courage. And as he spake to me, I was strengthened. Somehow the angels strengthened Daniel by touching him, by ministering to him. And they said, now you can speak. You've been strengthened. How about Matthew chapter 4? Jesus was 40 days without food, we're told. And in a weakened condition, Satan appeared to him and began to tempt him. And Satan and he began a battle, really, for the kingdoms of this world. All the kingdoms will I give you if you fall down and worship me, Satan said. And Jesus began to quote scripture at Satan. And after Satan left him, he was just wrung out. How about that for paraphrase? He just wrung out. Listen, he's a human being. Don't forget that. He's absolutely exhausted. Here's what Matthew 4 says. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering 
unto him. You say, what were they doing? They were strengthening him. He was wrung out completely. Angels warned us of danger. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, when they departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get out of Dodge. They're going to try to kill you. Paraphrased. Angels warn us of danger. I don't have time to tell you all the stories I know and all the personal accounts people have given to me where they said I reacted because I felt like a, a voice was telling me do this and then all of a sudden that happened. You say, what just happened? They warn you of danger. And I'm going to guess if I told you to open your email this week and send me your story, almost every person in this room has some type of story where you felt like God said to you, turn right here, go do this. And you did it at the impulse that was given to you and then some calamity befell somewhere else. They warn us of danger. Be sensitive to both the Holy Spirit and the angels if they are speaking to you to do something. How do I know if it's... That's next week's sermon. Don't get ahead. The angels help us make critical decisions. Life decisions. Big life decisions. Matthew chapter 2 verse 19 again. But when Herod died, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph and said, Rise, take the child, and you all go back to Israel. Shut the business down. Open the business up. Move to another city. Relocate. Start a new life. Major life decisions. Sell one business, start another business, do this, buy a new home. Listen, major life decisions. That's when we pray about major life decisions. That's when we say, Holy Spirit, lead us. And you'll find the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, and the holy angels are working in unison here. I'll show it to you more clearly in just a moment. The angels protect us. Psalm 34, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Psalms 91, verse 11, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Do you understand the implications of that? You can't stub your toe without God knowing about it. And if you were fallen, he said the angels could catch you and bear you up in your hands if you were to stumble. Notice it didn't say wings. Because there's no indication that these angels have any wings. It's just an artist's myth. You say, what? The cherubim and the seraphim have wings. But when these angels appear, they always appear in the form of a human. Are you with me now? I'm not saying they don't have wings, and I'm not sure... All of those things are properly classified as angels. But these ones we're talking about now don't, are not described with wings. They protect us. They rescue us. How about this? They rescue us. I'd love for you to read the biography of Sadhu Sundar Singh. As he went up into Tibet, and the, the Grand Lama, he's preaching the gospel, and the Grand Lama threw him in a pit filled with rotting dead bodies. Can you imagine being thrown down a chute... And landing at the bottom in, a, in like an empty well, and it's filled with rotting corpses. <clears throat> and you're in the goop and the muck and the guts and the maggots, and you're can barely hold your stuff together. There's only one key to the pit, it's got a big iron grate on top. And the key hangs on a chain around the Grand Lama's neck in Tibet. And he locked Sunder Singh in, threw him in a pit, locked the lock, and they went. Read the biography of Sadhu Sunder Singh. And in the middle of the night, the lock rattled, and the grate was opened, and a rope was let down, and strong arms pulled Sadhu Sunder Singh out of the pit and put him on the dry ground and said, Go and, 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 and continue your journey. And the next day, the Grand Lama found Sadhu Sundar Singh and said, who stole the key? And the, the Lama reached in and pulled the chain and the keys hanging on the chain around his neck. It's the only key in existence. You say, who let Sadhu Sundar Singh out of the pit? Well, that's an easy one. Acts chapter 5. But during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought the apostles out, the disciples out. They were locked in prison and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people the words of life. Who let the apostles out of prison? 
Read the account in Acts chapter number 10 where the angel kicks Peter snoring in the middle of the prison and wakes him up and says, dude, put your britches on. We're out of here. Read it. Acts chapter 10. And the guards are standing watch and the gates are locked and they're walking right past the guards and the guards can't see them and the outward gates open by themselves right out of a haunted house, man. The gates open by themselves and the angels walk out and they dust Peter off and say, see you later, bye. They rescue us. Now, I don't know if you have a fantastic story like that or not, but they're recorded all through the scripture. The angels guide us to new relationships, Acts chapter number 8. Philip is preaching up in Samaria. And the angel of the Lord says to Philip, I want you to go to the Gaza Strip. There's someone I want you to get into a relationship with and disciple this person. I want you to lead them to Christ and speak into their life. And so Philip, at the angel's uh, command, goes to Gaza. And the same passage says the Holy Spirit begin to use him, the spirit and the angel working together. And Philip goes down there and finds the Ethiopian eunuch, the treasurer of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, and says, sir, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, I have no idea. He's reading Isaiah 53. Does Isaiah speak of himself or another that should come? And, and Philip just opens the gospel and leads him to Christ and baptizes him right there on the side of the highway. You say, how did Philip get to meet the treasurer of Ethiopia, the Holy Spirit, and the angels working together guided him into a new relationship, and he went and met him. Now, when God's bringing people into your life, that is not coincidence. When God's introducing people into your life every day, that's not just happenstance. This is what's mind-blowing. In a metroplex of millions of people, God is working in our lives to bring us into these relationships. They bring us safely to our destination. I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but in Acts chapter 27, you can get it all in your version. Uh, the Apostle Paul is, is a prisoner. He's on a ship full of people, many of them prisoners. They're going to Rome for trial. There are soldiers, there are sailors, there are prisoners. They get into a hurricane out in the Mediterranean Sea. A cyclone, whatever, whatever it's called. Uh, and in that hurricane out on the Mediterranean, the Roman soldiers say, oh my goodness, the ship's going down. And if anybody does survive, if they're a prisoner, we lose our lives even if we survive. So let's kill all the prisoners. They can't, we can't let them go. We can't let them get them out of the chains and let them swim for sure. Uh, because if any of them escapes, the Roman law says we all die. So the Roman soldiers pull their swords And they're about to kill the prisoners. And Apostle Paul says, stop, do do us no harm. For the angel of the Lord stood by me this night. And he said, Paul, you will go to Rome and you will testify before Caesar. So I say to you soldiers, we are all going to be safe. And the angel of the Lord has told me that not one man will be lost. Scuttle the ship and everybody swim for shore. We'll all be safe. Prisoners, none of you revolt. Everybody stay with your soldiers. We're all going to make it. Paul saved everybody's life that night because an angel gave him protection and saw him safely to his destination. Let me go quickly. They give us understanding. Daniel chapter number 9, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice, and he made me to understand. He enlightened me. Daniel, I have come to give you insight and understanding at the beginning of your pleas for mercy when you first started praying a word went out and I've come to tell it to you for you are greatly loved so consider I'm going to enlighten and give you understanding maybe sometimes you've just been in a fog and then all of a sudden clarity comes like a cloud lifts and you're like oh my gosh my eyes are open I see it very clearly ding we illustrate that ding light bulb goes off you school teachers certainly understand what understanding looks like. You're up teaching in front of the class, Miss Letty, and you're doing whatever you do up there, and all of a sudden, ding, 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 ding. You can see the lights going off in their eyes. They're comprehending. They're coming to understanding. The angel said, I've come to give you understanding. Well, praise God. Bring it on. It's what I'm saying. Praise God. Now, let me close with this, because my time's done. The angelic ministry also includes the escorting of departed saints. The escorting of departed saints. We're told by a story by Jesus in Luke 16. And let me just read the first part of the verse. The poor man died and was carried by the angels 
to Abraham's side. Old KJV, to Abraham, carried to Abraham's bosom. Carried to paradise. Metaphor for paradise. The angels carried them. Now that's just a partial list to help you understand what angels do for God's children. And I mean you. They do these things toward you, for you. Apostolos, pneuma, remember these words. Ministering spirits, liturgicos, pneuma, apostolo, diakonia. They're doing this for you. They're ministering, aiding, rescuing, enlightening, caring for you who are heirs of salvation. On this issue of escorting departed saints, I could bend your ear for a long time. After almost 30 years, 20 as your pastor, but almost 30 years of doing ministry, and standing beside the bedside of people who are one breath away from heaven, I could tell you stories that would curl your hair. And if you really want to know about angels and the supernatural, then just take up the ministry of hospital visits to people who are about to die. Now, most of you, that doesn't sound appealing. But if you want to know about the other side, then go and minister to people who are one heartbeat away from going to the other side. And you'll have your eyes open to things that you can't explain at all. I'll give you two personal stories in closing. Uh, I'll give you three. Anybody, some of you in the room may know Ann Welty. Uh, Ann was a dear old lady, way up in years, spry as she could be, and got sick and wasn't long for this earth. They said she's pretty much comatose. She, I mean, she's in and out of consciousness, but she's not really responsive, lying in the hospital bed. I remember going up to the hospital that night. They knew she would die in the night. She's non-responsive in the bed. I walk in the room, take her hand, grab her hand up and say, Hey, Ann, how are you doing? Pastor's here, came by to talk to you for a while. Her eyes opened. She sat up in bed and preached a 10-minute sermon to her children. I kid you not. She looked around the room where her family was said, you hadn't been in church in forever. You need to get your life right. I mean, she just went around the room and called them out one by one and preached to her kids and her grandkids a beautiful, beautiful sermon. And you, it, you, blah, 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 blah. And then in exhaustion, she just lay back in the bed, closed her eyes, and in a few minutes she breathed her last. She's gone. My granduncle, Hobart, Hobart, we all knew was not long for this earth. Let me explain to who this is. My, my grandmother's Barbara. Her sister, Murdy, and their brother, Hobart. There's more than three, but those are enough not to confuse you. So my grandmother and her sister and then her, their brother, Hobart. Hobart was not long for this world. He was in the hospital near death. And Barbara and Murdy, her sister, they were spry, thin, uh, wiry uh, ladies still worked full time. My grandmother picked peas and hoed. Uh, I mean, they, they were active and in the sun and, and hard workers. But Hobart grew up the same way, but he was old and frail and his body was now wore out. He, he just was about to die. He was not long for this earth. One afternoon, Hobart appeared to be delusional. Family's coming into the hospital room there to, to see him. We know he's not going to be around long. And as sometimes will happen, you assume, well, Hobart's delusional. He began to speak and, and, and talk and just nonsense. You know what I'm saying? Just, just jabbering about this and that, and incoherent sentences put together. And, and, and then he articulated to everybody in the hospital room some news that he had heard. And, and he kind of stirred in the bed and, and he announced, he said, to, uh, uh, Murdy, my sister, Murdy and I are going home tonight. And we're like, Hobart, you're, you're probably not going to go home. You're not long for this earth. We don't think you're ever going to be able to leave the hospital. You're not going home. And so after many hours of being there with him, and I want you to know it's exhausting. I know many of you have lived this, to stand in a hospital room and just watch. You know what I'm saying? It's just exhausting, draining. Every few seconds you think they stop breathing. And so finally the family was tired, it was getting late, we all went home and to ate and, and went to bed and uh, when we woke the next morning we were not shocked to learn that Hobart had died in the night. Begin to call all the family and say, okay, he's died, let's get plans for the funeral. As we were calling all the family, we were shocked to learn that his sister Murdy didn't answer her phone. 
And so somebody went over to knock on the door to tell his sister, Murdy, hey, your brother died last night. And she too had died in the night, healthy and strong. Hobart had told us, Murdy and I are going home tonight. How did he know what a medical doctor didn't know? Well, when you get that close, you begin to see things. You begin to hear conversations because you're just one step. And the angels are there, and they're about to take you to the other side. And you can hear them talking. You say, Pastor, how do you know? 30 years of standing in a hospital room or a hospice room or a nursing center, 30 years of being in someone's home holding their hand, they begin to hear things. And if they say them to you, you think, oh, they're out of their head with fever. They're out of their head with morphine. They're, they're delusional. They're incoherent. If you want to know about the spirit world, minister to people who are dying. I'll get, I get tell you another story. Uh, my, my mom's sitting right back here, but mom's mom, I never knew her. She died just before I was born. And uh, mom's dad, my grandfather, remarried a woman named Frances. I lived over in Grand Prairie all these years. And, and uh, Frances, I was not her blood. Leah was not her blood. And there was quite a strained relationship there. And uh, I don't know if Frances can hear me right now, but I don't think she'd be upset for me telling you this. Uh, she was nasty towards us. She was nasty. <laughs> I mean, it was not a great relationship. She was the wicked stepmother, if you would, to my mother. And then to us as grandkids. And it was not a great relationship at all. And uh, she was not grandmother. She was Francis. Well, my grandfather died. And uh, Francis' family had all died. And Francis was alone. And then Francis' health began to fail, and we were trying to care for her. And I remember telling my mother, because I'm not that great of a Christian, I began to tell my mother, just let the wicked witch, I mean, she's got family, surely, that can deal with her. We couldn't even deal with her. I mean, it was just, it was nasty. I just can't even tell you how it was. We tried and tried. And I remember my mom telling me, no, she has no one else. We have to care for her. It's the right thing to do. And mom was right. Mom was right. And so we cared for her, put our lives on hold, and cared for her as she was aging. And eventually, it was so difficult, we moved her to Keller, into a facility here in Keller, where we could be close to our home, and we could just in five minutes be there and, and minister toward her. And, and we could see then her life w was failing. She wouldn't be with us long. Uh, one morning, Mom went up to the facility here in Keller to see Francis and to care for her. And uh, mom's standing just inside the doorway, and Francis is there, and there's an elderly, sweet elderly nurse in there ministering to, you know, doing what she heard her rounds and stuff. And Francis looked over at my mother, who's sitting right back there and can tell you the whole story, but Francis looked over at my mother and said, Leah, you need to move. Why are you standing in front of those two men? Can't you see they're upset? They're trying to, to, to be here for me, and you're standing right in front of them. Mom turns around, there's no one standing there. But you, here's what you do if you minister to people who are at the end. Mom said, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me move out of the way. And mom moved over here. The old nurse looked up at mom and said, she'll be dead shortly. She's seeing the angels. She said, I work here. I see it every day. She'll be gone soon. She's seeing the angels. So it became a thing. Mom ministered to her for a while. You have to understand my grandmother rejected the gospel for scores and scores and scores of years, would not receive Christ. It was not a good situation. Mom told us a little bit about the story. And Jack said to, to Mom, uh, Leah, you, uh, Nanny, you need to go witness to her tomorrow. Mom said there was nobody there. I remember Jack and Mom and I were talking about this. He said, uh, 
you weren't meant to see. She was meant to see. The angels weren't there for you. They're there for her. And so mom had set her mind. She said, I'm going to go back up tomorrow morning and try to share the gospel one more time. Mom went into the room and she said, hi, Francis, how are you doing today? You know, it wasn't good. And uh, mom said, have your friends been by today? And Francis said, no, I haven't seen those men today. They haven't come today. And mom said, could I just share it? And just shared the gospel with her. And lo and behold, Francis prayed and received Jesus Christ as her Savior. Can you imagine that? Uh, We rejoiced as a family. Mom came home that afternoon. Phone rang. You already know what happened. She's gone. They had come for her. Just like that. You say, Pastor, is that real? Just as real as you sitting here. 30 years, I could just bend your ear with story after story. Now, those are my stories and many more, but here is my question for you. Do you know where you stand with the Son of God this morning? The spirit world's not a myth. It's just the spirit world, but it's as real as you sitting here right now this morning. Here's my question. Do you know where you stand with the fallen human or redeemed son of God? Where do you stand this morning? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let me bring us to a decision now. I want you to be very respectful in the next couple of moments. As you close your eyes and just turn your thoughts inwardly to your own heart this morning, here is my challenge to you. Do you know where you stand with the Son of God? I know you know about Him. I know you've heard of Him. I know you know the story of Jesus. But here is my pointed question to you this morning. Do you know that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you prayed and put your faith in Jesus Christ in in an execution moment of your own volitional will? Have you said to the Son of God, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I receive you as my Savior? Have you done that for yourself? I'm not asking if you're a church member or if you're a Christian. I'm asking have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? If you've never done that, I want to pray for you this morning in a very special way to receive Christ today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out in any way. But if you don't know Christ as your Savior and you're not sure of that this morning, I want you to receive Christ today. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If that's you, I want you just to lift your hand where you are so I can pray for you this morning. And say, Pastor, that's me. I know about Jesus, but I've never really prayed and asked him to come into my life and be my Savior. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to come and see you. I just want to pray for you. And I want to know that you're hearing me and you're ready to make that step. Just slip your hand up quickly and put it right back down. Say, Pastor, that's me. Then here's what I'm going to assume this morning. I'm going to assume then that the people in this room are born again, children of God. So here's my next question for you. Do you know what your mission is? How is your life structured around that mission? How have you approached your mission? How are you living out your mission as an intern in the kingdom of God? Maybe you need to make some adjustments this morning to the priorities of your life. If so, you and God just work that out right now. You just begin to speak to Him and talk to Him about what your intent is and what your understanding is and ask Him to help you work it out. Y'all work through it in prayer right now.
this morning, I've tried to articulate some understanding from the scripture of the angel's ministry towards us. As you begin to comprehend what that looks like, I hope that helps you form this morning some type of prayer where you can call out to God right now and say, God, thank you for bringing relationships. God, thank you for directing my, my steps. God, thank you for ministering to me through your holy angels. God, thank you for enlightening me and giving me understanding. God, thank you for bringing me safely on my way. God, thank you for what you're doing in my family. God, thank you for standing a watch and protecting my unsaved and my saved family members. God, thank you that even in death you take us by the hand and never leave us alone and escort us as victors right into the kingdom of God. Just that understanding should help you praise God this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. If you've made some major decision you need to share with us, if you want to be a part of the church family, lots of workers here to help you this morning. We're going to close in a song this morning, just a a, a verse of a song. Let your heart be lifted up this morning. You are not alone. You are surrounded. Those ministering spirits called angels are all around us. And they've been sent by God on mission as apostolos, apostles who minister with a diakone, a deacon type role, serving you and loving you. Just imagine what it is to be a deacon for a minute. You're acting out something that's going on in the universe around us right now. Let your heart just rejoice in that this morning.